seated. I was originally going to um, speak on something a little different tonight, and God changed my mind for me. <laughs> so you'll have to bear with me. But, uh, yeah. So, um, might be a little bit scattered. I apologize. I hope not. I spent a bit of time getting on it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I just ask that you would send your words through my mouth, Lord, that uh, I might open and close, but you do all the speaking, Lord. I just ask that you would speak through me, that we might hear your words and what you would have to say to us this evening. I ask this in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Um, obviously, uh, as you guessed uh, from tonight's Torah portion, it talks about Egypt. It's a section called Bo, which means enter. And uh, it goes all the way through the leaving of Egypt. And it uh, talks about a reminder at the very end of chapter 13 that uh, we say quite frequently to remind your children of these things and say it every year. And I started thinking about Passover and I was praying and God really showed me that Passover is really about his mercy, his mercy on us. And I thought, you know, that sounds like a good topic. So, he usually has better, as a matter of fact, always has better opinions than me. Sometimes I just tend to forget him. But uh, <laughs> he told me, so I listened, hopefully. And um, tonight's lesson is on mercy. And I got to say that without God's mercy, I couldn't be up here. I've been a believer virtually all my life. I think I first prayed to the Lord asking for forgiveness of my sins when I was three years old. And yet still, walking a believer's life, I'm not perfect. And uh, Rob Shoal says, all my righteousness is as filthy rags. I can't imagine what he would describe my sins as, particularly if you know those filthy rags that he's talking about. But I don't want to know. It's filthy and disgusting. Without God, I am nothing. But God is really all I need. And it reminded me of a funny story. Um, I used to spend a lot of time with my uncle. He was my favorite uncle growing up. And um, he had his oldest son, and he was about three years old, and he would read a chapter of the Bible to him every night before he went to bed. And my cousin, my uncle started reading, and it was the Hallel Psalm. Of course, my uncle did not know what the Hallel Psalms were, um, but uh, he was reading it to his son. And um, he said, well, Dad, what's mercy? He says, well, it's God being gracious and doing kind things. And so he's reading along, and um, it might be better if I just read it. Uh, from a different perspective, it can be rather amusing to hear what my uncle came up with. It says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. That's how it starts out. And then we 
particular translation he was reading said mercy instead of loving kindness. It goes on. Uh, Give thanks to the Lord of Lords for his loving kindness is everlasting. He alone does great wonders. But as it gets to the uh, end, uh, particularly verse uh, 17, through him who smote great kings for his mercy is everlasting. And the three-year-old just started laughing. He's like, how is killing great kings mercy? (laughs) And it put my uncle, he was trying difficult to understand as well. And he finally came up with the correct solution that (laughs) their time had come, but they had been granted mercy a period of time where they had an opportunity to turn to the Lord and to follow him and to leave that land that had been promised to Israel. But they chose not to. And that God's mercy was to Israel. Now, my uncle's maybe been in a Messianic congregation once, so I thought that was pretty profound for him. (laughs) But it the three-year-old just kept laughing and laughing and laughing. So I guess from a child's perspective, at one in the morning, (laughs) mercy can be an amusing thing. But God first showed us his mercy in that through his love. He loved us. We are able, excuse me, we are able to love him because he first loved us. That was 1 John 4.19. And God's mercy is the foundation of why each one of us are here. Each one of us who are believers without God's mercy can't be a believer. It's quite simple. We messed up. And so I think as a new believer, we find that understanding mercy is a very easy concept because we can see everything that we left behind and we can see where we're at now. That we're a new creation in Messiah. The old is gone, the new has come. That all those sins are gone. But I've noticed as life goes on and as our walks go on, sometimes we tend to forget the impact of that mercy. And I'm even guilty of this myself. We tend to forget how great that mercy towards us is and what it has for a foundation in our lives. It's, uh, to borrow some phrases from Revelation, Chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. I know your deeds, your toil and perseverance. You cannot tolerate evil men. You put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you find them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. But this I have against you, you have left your first love. And mercy and love are very closely tied together. About five and a half years ago, I was working with the youth, and God gave me a message. And I thought, oh, this will be good. He told me something really funny. He said, it's not for the youth. I'm like, okay, it's for me. No, it's, it's for the adults. And I was like, um, you know, I work with youth. I, I, don't, I don't work with adults here. <laughs> and I was terrified. And about three years later, an opportunity came that I never thought would, and I gave that message. And ironically enough, it was very appropriate for the time. It was on love. Unfortunately, I don't think a lot of people heard it. But, <laughs> but um, 
That's the way it goes sometimes. Uh, the seed sometimes falls on fertile soil and sometimes it gets trodden underfoot. But I truly believe that God's mercy is a key foundation for the Spirit manifesting itself in our lives. And I want to talk about that a little later, but I also want to talk about first what the lack of understanding of mercy can do in our lives. And I believe it can lead to shame. I believe it can lead to judgmentalism, legalism, and unforgiveness. I think shame is pretty much self-explanatory. Um, David said it best in Psalm 32. Blessed is the man. Well, let me read it. I'm not sure I can quote it exactly. So. How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Verses 1 and 2. How blessed is it to have our sins removed from us. There is no shame or condemnation for those who are in Messiah Yeshua. There is no shame. I'm reminded of uh, during the, I believe it's the 80s, there were a lot of scandals with televangelists. And I think some of them really had a good heart. And they fell through one means or another. And some of them tried to get back again. And some of them did get back again into sharing God's word. But the shame that the body of Messiah placed on them was not appropriate. Because they repented, at least some of them. Some of them were publicly. Some of them had to go to jail. They definitely received punishment. But there were still people who would to this day say, I don't even want to talk to that man. He did this or that. And that was his past. That was his shame. Even though he was a believer, when it happened, God's forgiveness still covered. And I want to say that to you if you're experiencing this. God's forgiveness doesn't stop for your actions when you become a believer. It's for your entire life. His mercy extends forever and ever. His mercy is about forgiveness. The Messiah was our Passover lamb, the sacrifice that led to the forgiveness of our sins, the removal of them from us as so far as the east is from the west. David even went on to say, uh, I think, yeah, so f- your sins are so far removed from you as the east is from the west. I think so. It is as though you have never sinned. Now, I want each of you to take just a brief moment and to consider that none of you have sinned. You have not sinned because God has removed it from you. That's what it means. He removed it from you. It's gone. Rob Shaul talks about this freedom that we have in Messiah Yeshua because the old man has been put to death. The flesh has been left behind. The sin was destroyed. 
and taken from us. He says that freedom is in the spirit. In Romans, he says, what do you use that freedom for? Do you use it for the world or for spirit? Judgmentalism and legalism. A lot of times I find that the people who judge the harshest are the ones who feel the guiltiest. They haven't understood God's mercy for them, and so they have trouble allowing it to understand it for God's standard. If you follow what I said there. They don't understand it themselves, so they can't understand how someone else would feel it. In uh, legalism, faith without works is dead, yes, but we are not saved by our works. In Romans 4, verses 1 through 8, and I'll go ahead and read that. Revelation, I turned to the wrong bookmark. I'm going, this is not right. (laughs) What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, is found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited, credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man whom God credits righteousness apart from works. And again, blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. We are to walk according to the Spirit, and if we are walking according to the Spirit, we will do the will of the Father. But if we approach it with a legalistic attitude, we're missing the boat. God's mercy was that if we don't do the will of the Father 100%, He still accepts us and still uses us and still hones us to a point where we can do that will closer and closer to that 100% mark. This one thing I know, I'll press on towards the goal of the high calling of Messiah Yeshua. We keep pressing on. We don't stop. We aren't satisfied with 75, 80, even 99%. We want to stay in the will of the Father. But it doesn't mean we're worried about every little thing. We're worried about every little thing that he wants and desires. And ironically enough, if we're just following where he's leading us, we'll keep the law 100%. These can all come if we don't see mercy. And there's... Yeshua gave one example of not showing mercy. It's uh, Matthew 18, verses 23 through 35. I'd like to read those now. 
For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle the accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle them, one owed him 10,000 talents was brought before him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of the slave felt compassion and released him and forgave the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves, who owed him a hundred denarii. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and went and threw him in prison until he could pay back what was owed. So that when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summing him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way I had mercy on you? And his Lord, moved to anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. It's easy for us to become judgmental towards others. Yeshua also spoke of, do not worry about the speck in your brother's eye when you have a beam in your own. But to truly understand that God's mercy is had on us and what we deserve, everything everybody else does is nothing. How are we going to take offense over the hundred denarii that they do to us when we did 10,000 talents against God? God's mercy is shown to us while we were yet sinners. Messiah Yeshua died for us. Rav Shaul was guilty of murder, yet he was appointed a messenger to the nations. He wrote many books of the Brit Hadashah. Likewise, we are still shown that mercy even after we become believers. And we should show it to others. As you read in the book of the Acts, you can see that some people questioned Rav Shaul. Isn't this the man who chased us, who imprisoned us? He understood God's mercy in a very unique fashion with the light on the road to Damascus that I hope none of us ever have to go through because I had to be terrified. (laughs) And he gave mercy and love to those around him and it showed. It did not mean, however, that he was weak you read his writings, he gets very fervent about the Lord. And he does not back down from what is right. Mercy does not say, I know that's wrong, but you can have your opinion. Mercy says, that's wrong and I care about you and I want you to find the correct way.
And that brings me to the main point, the main scripture that I'd like to read this evening. Psalm 103. What is your response to God's mercy to you? I think verse 1 covers it very well. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Who pardons all your iniquities. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. And crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. Who satisfy your years with good things. So that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgment for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to his iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Just as the Father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame, knows our body, knows our DNA. I added those last words. He is mindful that we are but dust. But as for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. When the wind has passed over it, it is no more, and in its place acknowledges it no longer. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children and to those who keep his covenant and remember his precepts to do them. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his sovereignty rules over all. Bless the Lord, you his angels, mighty in strength, who perform his word, obeying the voice of the word. Bless the Lord, all ye hosts, you who serve him, doing his will. Bless the Lord, all ye works of his, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. There's no greater response we can have to God's mercy than to bless the Lord. And that's the perfect and natural response. Because it is overwhelming what He has done for us. And I think if we can continually remember that, it will put into perspective the things that go on around us. The hurts that other people give us, the struggles that we're going through, jobs, stress, disease, pains, all these things put into perspective to what God has done for us through His mercy are really not that big a deal. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. So I think as we focus on that mercy, it allows the Spirit to move through us. And I would like to go to Galatians.
5, verse 22. And it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And I believe that mercy is tied to every portion of the fruit of the Spirit. And I'd like to just show you why I believe this. God's mercy comes to us through his love. We love him because he first loved us. And that is the first fruit of the Spirit, love. The love that we show one for another, the love that we show to God, is directly tied to his mercy in loving us first. Through his mercy we receive joy. Psalm 51, restore the joy of my salvation. His mercy was our salvation. And the second fruit of the Spirit is joy. Or second portion of the fruit of the Spirit, I should say. Peace. I lay me down and I slept. I awoke for the Lord sustained me. Adrian sang it tonight. God's mercy has granted us peace because the past no longer has to haunt us. We do not have to be afraid of the terrors of night, as David said. And for an anointed one of God, I'm sure he had some pretty harsh terrors with the things that he had done in his life. But he was not afraid of them any longer. For God had mercy on him. God's mercy is all-encompassing, all good. I can go on through all of these, but I think you can notice a trend. I really believe that God's mercy is the foundation, the first step in this building of the Spirit in you. And that if you keep remembering God's mercy towards you, each one of these will fall into place. The important thing to realize, though, as we're realizing God's mercy, as I read in Matthew 18, is that we have to show the mercy that was shown unto us to fully realize it. Because if we're not showing mercy, then we're not realizing God's mercy towards us fully. And we can allow a root of bitterness to come in over that hundred denarii. And it can growing and take away the joy of our salvation or the peace that we have. Turning just a little bit over to Colossians, I'd like to leave you with this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the messianic community, the body, and he is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace 
through the blood of his sacrifice, through him I say, whether things on earth or in heaven, and although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet now reconciled, yet now, excuse me, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless, beyond reproach. Each one of you is beyond reproach.